Grace and mercy and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be surprised at seeing the title to the message at this service, Easter, a second-rate holiday. The reason I say that is because in our society today, there are two great religious holidays, Christmas and Easter. And for most of us, Christmas is by far and away the bigger greater, more popular season of the year. I mean, it's the time when we get to gather together with our family and friends. We get to sing these really kind of joyful things rather than those dirgy Lenten hymns. We get to decorate our tree. Very few people ever put up an Easter tree. We get to exchange gifts. It's a great time for everybody. I mean, Christmas is the climax of the entire year. Easter? Well, you know, for many people here in America, Easter is just another nice long weekend. You get Friday off. I mean, that's why it's a good day. Good Friday. We don't have to work that day. It's another chance just to kind of go off to the lake or be with some friends. I mean, even Christians, I hate to say this, but even Christians view Easter as a second-rate holiday. Somehow, we have got our thinking all mixed up. Think for a moment. If Easter had never happened, Christmas would have no meaning. If the tomb is not empty, who cares about a cradle? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he was just some sort of a misguided Jewish rabbi with delusions of grandeur. If Easter is not true, the Christmas story is only about some little obscure baby born in some little obscure town in a land that's been forgotten. I mean, it is Easter that gives Christmas its meaning. Now, you want proof of that? All you need to do is go to the New Testament part of your Bible. In all the New Testament, believe me, I've checked. I went back and forth many times to prove it and make sure this is right. But in all the New Testament, no major doctrinal point is ever built on the virgin birth of Jesus. Not one. Obviously, they considered it to be true. It's never discussed. It's never mentioned. In fact, two of the Gospels make no mention whatsoever of the virgin birth. But the resurrection, on the other hand, that's a different story. In every part of the New Testament, it comes up again and again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Acts, it's full of sermons all about the resurrection. They don't mention Bethlehem. They talk about the empty tomb. I mean, they never get over the fact that on Easter Sunday, when they went to the tomb, guess what? Jesus was gone. Now, this last week, in addition to reading the four Gospels, I've been reading uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, particularly chapter 15. It's his famous passage where Paul kind of wonders out loud about the resurrection and the implications that if it didn't happen. Now, evidently, there were some people in the church during Paul's day uh, who were teaching that Christians would not rise again from the dead someday when Jesus returned to the earth. So Paul answers them in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says, that's foolish, because if Christians do not rise from the dead, what you're really saying is that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, because those two things go together, his resurrection and ours, And then he says twice in chapter 15, verse 14 and verse 17, he starts out by saying, if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised. 
And to that you want to finish the sentence. Paul, what do you mean? What do you mean if Christ has not been raised? Well, then he says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. Verse 15, if Christ has not been raised, we are a bunch of despicable liars. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is vain. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sins. Verse 18, if Christ has not been read, <laughs> raised, dead Christians are just that. They're dead. And, in, and also verse 18, if Christ has not been raised, we are to be pitied more than all men. Now, that's precisely my point. The resurrection, what we celebrate this day, is the central fact of our faith. In fact, disprove today, and there's nothing left. That's why from the very beginning of time, I mean 2,000 years ago, skeptics and doubters have attacked the Christian faith at this very point. They rarely ever attack the virgin birth. It's not about the miracles that Jesus did. It's not about his death. The resurrection is the touchstone. That's why questions are always welcome on Easter Sunday. I mean, this is the heart of what we're all about. I mean, everything rests on this point. Jesus rose from the dead. If it weren't so, then we wasted a lot of time this morning, cooked way too many pancakes, had too many sausages, too much bacon. I mean, you can doubt some of his miracles if you want, and you'll only be the loser. But if you doubt the resurrection of Jesus, the foundation of everything you are about as a Christian begins to crumble. So it is that so it is that sincere men and women ask hard questions about Easter. See it begins and ends right here, Easter Sunday. I want to take you back. I just want you to think for a moment. Suppose you had been there at the very first Easter. Would you have believed or would you have doubted? Put it another way, what would it take to convince you that someone you loved very much had come back to life after being dead three days? Suppose that person was a very close family friend. Maybe it was a family member and you had actually watched them die. What would it take to convince you that they actually came back to life? I mean, after all, rising from the dead is not a very common thing. And to the best of my knowledge, it's only happened once in the last 2,000 years. I mean, if we'd been there in Jerusalem with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, would we have believed the strange rumors that we heard that morning that Jesus was alive? Now, I want you for a moment to consider some evidence. How did the people who knew Jesus best react when they heard about his resurrection? How did the people who knew Jesus best react when they heard about the resurrection? I'm going to make this very simple observation. They were not expecting it. They were not expecting a resurrection. That was the furthest thing from their mind. I mean, you, forget about all of his predictions. Forget about all that brave talk. Forget about those wild dreams. His closest friends had given up. Now consider this strange fact. Who really expected problems on the third day? Who was it that really kind of believed something weird was going to happen on the third day? 
Who is afraid that something was going to happen? Well, listen to the words from Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66. The next day, the day after preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, said Pilate. Make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. So who expected something to happen on the third day? It wasn't his Jesus' closest friends. It was the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See, the believers had no thought of a resurrection. I mean, who came first to the tomb on Easter morning? It was women. Were they looking for a resurrection? Nope. Mark 16 said they came to do what? Oh, Jesus, you're alive! No, they came to anoint the dead body of Jesus. In those days, a body was prepared for burial by covering it with spices, and then you'd pour on kind of a sticky ointment. But on Friday, everything seemed to be very rushed. It was getting close to sundown. And so only the spices had been put on Jesus' body, not the ointment. So the women came to finish the job of embalming the body of Jesus. And what did they do when they got there? Well, the stone was rolled away. There was an empty tomb. All four Gospels agree on that fact. The women did not have the slightest clue as to what had happened. They were not looking for a resurrection. Now, an angel told them what happened, and they still didn't believe it. Mark 16 says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. John 20, verse 2 said that Mary left. She found Peter and John and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Luke 24 adds the final detail. It says that when the women told the rest of the disciples that Jesus was risen from the dead, listen to this, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Nonsense. No one rises from the dead. Not after three days. Not after being beaten and scourged. Not after being crucified. Not after hanging on a cross for six hours. Not after having a spear shoved through your side. Not after being covered with 150 pounds of spices and being wrapped in a suffocating burial cloth. Not after being sealed in the tomb. It's impossible. It's nonsense. I mean, they probably thought, gosh, you know, Jesus, he's a nice guy. He meant well. And he did so much good. We all loved him. I mean, we walked with him down dusty roads. Man, we actually saw him walk on water one time. That was really cool. We laughed out loud when he told off the Pharisees. Those are great days. How about the time he did that, that, that trick with the loaves and the fishes? That was really cool. I know he said he'd rise again, but... I guess we kind of believed it, and I kind of think he actually believed it. I mean, he'd never been wrong before. I mean, yeah, we believed it. I mean, why not? He, he, he did say he was the Son of God. 
man, we're going to miss him. Wouldn't it have been great if he really had risen? I mean, nobody would believe it. Well, at least he tried. That's why Mark adds here, when they heard that Jesus was alive, they did not believe it. Simple. It's too hard to believe anything else. It goes against nature, so they did not believe. Now, I think all of you know the rest of the story, but I don't want to go to the rest of the story right now. I want to point out that the people who knew Jesus best, people who loved him most, had grave doubts, no pun intended. They could not and they would not believe. I want to read some words written by Alfred Adersheim. He's the author of one of the greatest books on the life of Jesus ever written. He wrote these words. What thoughts concerning the dead Christ filled the minds of Joseph of Arimathea, of Nicodemus, and of the other disciples of Jesus, as well as the apostles and the pious women? They believed him to be dead, and they did not expect him to rise again from the dead, at least not in the accepted sense of the term. Of this there is abundant evidence from the moment of his death, in the burial spices brought by Nicodemus, in those prepared by the women, in the sorrow of the women at the empty tomb, in their supposition that the body had been moved, in the perplexity and bearing of the apostles, in the doubts of so many, and indeed in the express statement, for as yet they knew not the scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead. For all they knew, he was dead. That was it. End of quote. See, the evidence leads us to this conclusion. The people who knew him best, loved him most, had grave doubts on Sunday. Let me ask you this question, though. What finally convinced them? What finally convinced those who knew and loved Jesus most? I can answer that in two words. Jesus did. (laughs) Jesus convinced them. I mean, the tomb was empty. The angel said he'd been risen. All that could be explained. You know, people hauled the body away. But Jesus himself did what? He actually appeared to them, alive from the dead. The same Jesus that they had watched die, they saw him, they talked to him, they touched him, they ate with him, they heard his voice, they looked into his face. Probably some of them sat there and stared at Jesus that entire 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. Like, oh man, look at this. And it was true. Jesus had come back from the dead. Against all expectations, the truth came home to them. Jesus had actually risen from the dead. Let me ask you a question that may sound a little weird. I guess I'm good at asking those. But can a person who calls himself a Christian ever doubt the resurrection of Jesus? Can a person who calls himself or herself a Christian ever doubt the resurrection of Jesus? The answer is yes, indeed. (laughs) We have proof here. The ones who knew him best and loved him best had all kinds of doubts. And i got to tell you, friends, there's no sin in doubting. Don't worry about it. No sin in doubting. Sometimes doubts come not from hatred, but out of love. I mean, the disciples loved Jesus so much 
that they refused to believe the truth at first because they did not want to be disappointed. They didn't want to sully the memory of Jesus by believing some wild rumors that may not be true. I mean, you can't blame them. I mean, love made them doubt, but then love made them believe. There was a disciple. His name was Thomas. Remember him? We call him Doubting Thomas. Somehow, he missed Easter Sunday. Somehow, he wasn't there in all of this. I, I, the Bible doesn't tell us. He probably was so bummed out by what he'd seen, he may have gone off all by himself and held his own personal pity party. I don't know. I mean, after all of these years, Thomas is the one who's got the bad rap here. But you know something? He was no worse than everybody else who surrounded Jesus. They didn't believe either at first. What did Thomas say? Unless I see him with my own eyes, unless I touch him with my own hands, I will not believe. Now, we tend to look down on Thomas and kind of make fun of him. We even call people today, oh, you doubting Thomas. But you know, Jesus never did. They're all sitting together, and one night Jesus just kind of walks through the wall. That would have been cool to see, huh? Walks right up to Thomas and say, hey, buddy, <laughs> put your hands here. You want to feel? Take a feel. You want to put your hands in here? Go ahead. Touch me. Reach out your hand. Put them in my side. And evidently Thomas did. And then Jesus said something rather astounding. He said, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Now, friends, I don't tell you, doubters are always welcome at the empty tomb. I think our Lord always loves Easter questions. Some of you know I put all the na- signs out here in the front of the church. And sometimes i got to think about that. Well, I was looking through a list of signs this last week. I was thinking what to tell Eddie to put up next week. And I found one I really liked. In fact, it was on a Lutheran church. It said, the tomb is empty, no bones about it. The tomb is empty, no bones about it. I really like that. Kind of sums it up, doesn't it? All that Christianity asks is that we be consistent with ourselves. Sift through the evidence, and we got a whole book of evidence. Judge the record. Examine the testimony, then come to your own conclusion. I mean, it's all right to doubt, but don't let your doubts keep you away. I mean, Jesus himself asked this questions of those who came after him. He said, who do you think I am? I mean, what do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, before you answer that question, here's the evidence. Here's some evidence for you to consider. Here's a field trip for you later today. Go to the tombs of all of the founders of all of the world's great religions and call the roll. Muhammad, here. Buddha, here. Confucius, here. Moses, here. Jesus. There's no answer. That's because he's not there. He's not in the tomb. The tomb is empty. 
Doubt if you will, but the tomb is still empty because he's not there. He's risen, just as he said. Now, in the early church, we did this already a couple times today, but in the early church, Christians greeted each other this way. One would say, he is risen, and everyone would shout back, See, it's true, and we have staked our entire lives on that. So can a Christian who call, can a person who calls himself a Christian ever doubt the resurrection? Well, the answer must be yes, because the ones who knew him and loved him most doubted it first. Well, let's go back to what Jesus said to Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas bowed when he heard those words, and he said, My Lord and my God. Then John said, These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you too might have life in his name. See, no one can stay neutral forever. You can bring all kinds of doubts to the empty tomb. But when you stand in front of that empty tomb, you've got to make a choice. You cannot stay on that fence forever. Doubting is not a sin. I said that before, but at some point you've got to stop doubting. Either you believe all of this or you don't. You know, this is Easter Sunday. I mean, it's a wonderful day to make a choice. It's a great day for anybody here who has not made a decision yet. It's a great time for some people to stop doubting and actually say, I believe. You know that Jesus died. There's no doubt about that. You know he died for you. You know that. He rose from the dead. The question God is asking you is very simple. What have you done with my son? Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. Father, we thank you for the beauty of Easter. We rejoice that our deepest questions are answered with the simplicity of an empty tomb. Lead us into the garden of the resurrection where we may meet our risen Lord. And may we never again live as if Jesus were dead. May those who doubt now believe and find life through his name. Amen.